0: Good morning. We'll uh, continue in our studies through the first epistle of uh, John. But uh, first I have a test for you. Of course, we've been uh, talking about tests for the last three weeks. So uh, the test is this. What do you see in this picture? Now, uh, I, I haven't seen these pictures in my life before I ran into them uh, at a kind of, a, I guess, an art gallery where, um, <coughs> actually I think it was more of an art store, so we were walking, in a, me and, and some friends were walking on a street in Palo Alto, and uh, people were looking through the window of the store at these pictures, and they were ooing and eyeing over them, and I came and I looked, and <laughs> people we're annoying about And uh, we stood there for a while. Apparently, the friends I was with knew a little bit more about these pictures than me. And the truth is, if you stare at this long enough, and uh, you get your focus right, you can actually see something. Something will pop out at you. There's a three-dimensional image, believe it or not, inside this picture. And the key, if you've never done it before, and it'll be very hard for you if you've never done it before, is actually to focus beyond it. If you look at about double the distance between you and that picture, so pretend the picture is another, whatever, 30 feet away from you, then your eyes might start resolving something. It'll just pop at you, and you'll know. Now, a lot of people, as they look at these things, and they have other people next to them, and they say, Oh, I see it! (laughs) You know, and you're standing over there. Sometimes you might be tempted to say, Oh, I see it too! Now, how can you tell if someone is really seeing it. Well, if you can really see the image and they start telling you, well, this is what we see. We see a bird. There's a bird flying in the image. And you can see, and you know, wait a second, that's not a bird in that image. Well, you know they're not telling you the truth. And uh, that's going to be the application for us from this image today. Nothing spiritual about whether you can see it or not. But, uh, but uh, unfortunately, people will, will play that game with spiritual things. They'll claim to see spiritual truth they do not see. They do not know. And uh, if you, by God's grace, are able to see the truth of God, you can recognize when somebody is false because they're saying something that is not true, that you can tell, you can see about the Word of God. So with that... Uh, turn if you're not already there, First John chapter 2. We'll pick up where we stopped last week. And we'll just read a couple of verses at a time. Again, there's a lot in this passage and we don't want to get lost. So First John chapter 2 and verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... Even now, many antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. Little children is a term that the apostle seems to love using in this book, but uh, you can sense in it that he has real love, real affection the believers that he is writing to, and his heart is full of concern for them because of the fact that there have reason in the church, within the church, and I guess now are stepping out of the church, uh, people who claim to be Christians but were not truly Christians, and that was creating a lot of confusion perhaps uh, in the church. Now he says here, that it is the last hour and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming even now many Antichrists have come and he's referring to these people who have been in the church and have now stepped out of the church and really the the way in which they stepped out is they stepped out doctrinally maybe they haven't even left the church maybe they claim that they're still part of the fellowship but they've departed very clearly from the doctrine which the apostles have set forth and in that sense they have now stepped up. Now John is referring here to you have heard that the antichrist is coming, and I'd like us to go ahead and turn then, uh, and of course I'll I'll read, and the verses will be up there if you don't want to turn to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples were gathered around the Lord, the Lord Jesus. It was his last, the last week of his earthly ministry. They have come to believe he was the Messiah, but he's made it fairly made it fairly clear he's not about to ascend to the throne of Jerusalem, and uh, it's something it's only in the future that he will assume the full rights of the Messiah, so to speak. And so they come to him in verse three of Matthew 24, and they say, it says, "There now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying." Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So they're really, in a sense, they're asking about when will Jesus come back. Of course, he hasn't departed left, but they understand that there's going to be a greater coming of him and they want to know when that's coming. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ. I'm sorry, I just jumped to verse 23 in case you're trying to follow in your Bible. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or dare, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Oh so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he's talking about his return, and he's saying that there will come many Antichrists, many false prophets who will claim that they themselves the Christ, and uh, will we'll bring confusion about. So as, as we're thinking here about what the Apostle John is doing and his concern for the church, he's trying to help them deal with the fact that people have come out of the church and they're teaching other things than what the truth is, and one of the things he's doing is reminding them, look, Jesus talked about it, we shouldn't be shocked, we shouldn't think that all is wrong when all of a sudden people are stepping out and they're preaching other things than what the Bible says because Jesus said it was going to happen. It's okay. It's okay for people to be teaching the truth. Not that it's right to do so, but it shouldn't cause us to lose our confidence in the Word of God just because others have stepped out and are preaching other things than the truth. Second, it should be a reminder for us to lift our eyes up. He says this in verse 32 in Matthew 24. Now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branches have already become tender and shoot forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors, or at, at the doors. So when we see these things happening, it should remind us that it is the last hour. Now, you know, we struggle with it. You know, Jesus is talking about soon. He'll come, he's going to come back soon. John tells us it's the last hour. And we might be, wait a second, it's been almost 2,000 years. But what he means by that is nothing needs to happen before Jesus comes back. So it can happen, you know, before I'm done with this sermon. And everybody will be very glad. <laughs> Not because my sermon is over, but because the Lord has returned. Right? <laughs> right. So it can happen any moment. By that, in that sense, it's the last hour. So as we see this false Christ about, this false teaching Happening, it shouldn't cause us to worry, it should cause us to lift our eyes up. And, and why is it happening? Why, are there, why is there the Antichrist? Why are there all these Antichrists? Why are there all these false teaching? Well, it's because God has made a way for mankind to be saved. Remember, there is a great plan of salvation, and that way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the way of salvation, and God is, is revealing it to the world. He told us as His disciples to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And the last thing Satan wants to see are people getting saved in this world. And so I have a picture here. You know, what Satan is doing effectively, you know, is he's throwing out the smoke grenade with all this false teaching, false Christ, and eventually the Antichrist, so that people, instead of seeing the true Christ, the true way of salvation that that God has created, they have all these other lies that they can go after and think that this will take them to heaven. So this is, this is what's going on, the spiritual warfare, they, uh, Satan sent, sends out his people or in some way deceives people uh, and as a result we have these false teachers and it should remind us that there is a real way of salvation and Jesus is coming again and we shouldn't be discouraged just because Satan is playing his tricks and trying to confuse people, shouldn't be a source of discouragement. Finally, the last encouragement uh, he's giving them here before he turns back to the subject. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Um, I know it's true about me. You know, I like there to be a lot of people in my church. <laughs> uh, we, we enjoy... We, we enjoy signs of success, and often we, we tend to look at the number of members we have in our church as a mark of how successful we are as a church, and so as people would step out, I, in particular at that time, you know, teaching other things, stepping out of the church, it could have been a cause of discouragement, and uh, what John is pointing out here, look, they were never really part of us. We don't really just want, you know, more bodies in here. <laughs> You know, we want true believers, right? People who really are members of the body of Christ, who really contribute to the work of the kingdom. And so you don't really lose those, right? It says here that they were never really of us. So people who stepped out with this false doctrine were never really part of the kingdom of God, so there's no real loss. And on the other side, it says they went out that they might be made manifest. There's a goal here that God has. He doesn't want us to be a church that, has in it um, unbelievers, particularly those who claim to be believers, and particularly those who might be teaching false doctrines. Uh, it says this in Ephesians five, uh, chapter Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five verse twenty five: "Husbands, love your wives." Always a good exhortation, husbands. Just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her. Jesus loved the church. He gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The Lord wants this to be a clean, pure church. And he does it by removing false doctrine. Right? That's why he's washing it with uh, the washing of water by the wood. And, uh, and if there's people in the midst that are that are somehow promoting false doctrine. It's his desire that that they be put up. He doesn't want them to be confusing the saints. Verse 27: That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, as you as as we see people perhaps step out uh, teaching other things, we should be happy because it means the Lord is trying to preserve a a pure church for himself. He would much rather that they be outside than on the inside of the church. So it shouldn't be, when we see people teaching false things outside or particularly leaving, it shouldn't be a source of discouragement. We should be glad that the Lord is preserving for himself a, p- a pure church. He wants a pure church for himself. Okay. Uh, back to First John, chapter 2. We'll continue in our passage. He says, but you, and now he's talking to the two believers he's writing this letter to, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is anti-Christ. Christ, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So we're talking here about the test of life. We're talking here about the test of the truth. We're looking for evidence that people really know the truth of God. How is it that believers know the truth of God? How is it that uh, someone can look at that picture I had and see the three-dimensional object. What is it that really is true spiritually? And the answer is given to us in John 14. John 14, verse 16. Jesus is speaking to to his disciples and he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And uh, I'll just pause there. So, think of the disciples. They had the Lord Jesus with them for three years. They were probably as confused a bunch as uh, any that's walked on the face of the earth. But they had the Lord Jesus with them. So, the Lord Jesus was able to point to them spiritual truth. He was able to teach them and to keep them on track spiritually. I mean, they certainly deviated sometime. But the Lord Jesus was right there to correct them and point them to the truth. And what Jesus is talking about is the fact he was going to go away. He wasn't going to stay with them anymore. and because of, the, because of that, he was going to give them another helper, right And the helper we have for us in verse 17, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him, nor known him, nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now it, it calls uh, this the Holy Spirit in the Gospel, so in 1 John 20, an anointing. It says that we have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, anointing isn't something we do today so much, but in the Old Testament we see it was used to set people apart. So Aaron the priest was set apart to be the priest of Israel by anointing. They poured oil on his head. Uh, king David was set apart to be king by an anointing. They put oil on his head. It set him apart. Uh, The prophets were often set apart in the same way. Oil was put on their head. They were anointed. What anointing do we have from God? What is it that sets us apart as believers from the rest of the world uh, that uh, qualifies us, enables us to do the work that God has called us to? It's the Holy Spirit. And uh, in this particular passage... In John 14, he talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, reveals the truth to us. That's how we know spiritual truth. Ultimately, is through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Every person here who is a true believer has received the Holy Spirit. It was the promise of the Lord Jesus to us, and it is because of the Holy Spirit in you that you have discernment in spiritual things, and you're able to to see the truth. Right now. Turning back to 1 John 2, he's beginning to now separate the believers from the unbelievers by their claims of what is true. Right? He says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. You as believers have the Holy Spirit, and you know what the truth is, and that no lie is of the truth. What is the lie? who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And here he's turning to the Gnostics and what the Gnostics have been teaching. The Gnostics have been teaching that Jesus is not the Christ. Now, we need to, to, be, uh, to know a little bit more about the Gnostics to understand what they meant by that. <clears throat> they were not like, say, the Jews are, who would say, well, Jesus is not the Christ, he's not the Messiah, we're waiting for somebody else. Right? That's what Jesus would say, which is wrong. But that's their position. The Gnostics were saying Jesus isn't the Christ. Instead, the Christ is some sort of a spirit being that came from God and he came upon Jesus' man, uh, perhaps at Jesus' baptism, and he stuck around with Jesus and revealed spiritual truth, did miracles, until perhaps the Garden of Gethsemane And then he left Jesus, and Jesus went on on his way to the cross and died. So the Christ himself never died. That's what the Gnostics would teach. Is that true? No, that's not true. Now, forgive me while I'm gaggling my thoughts here for a minute. Um, One of the things we want to consider about that is that the Gnostics are like cults uh, that are around today that will often say nice things about the Lord Jesus. They said that Jesus had the spirit of the Christ for a while. Jesus really did teach (coughs) truth from God, and uh, he really did perform great miracles. He was a wonderful man, maybe the holiest man on the face of the earth, and that's why Christ chose to be with him. So they would say good things about him. A lot of cults today would say similar things. They would say, well, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a teacher. Some will say he was a prophet. Some will say that he was an angelic being. And they'll say glowing things about Jesus, but they'll deny the essential truth of who Jesus is and what it is in particular that Jesus did for them on the cross. And I want to think about that a little bit because a lot of people today would say something like Jesus is a good teacher. And what is wrong with saying that Jesus is just a good teacher, as opposed to saying that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, if he is a good teacher, effectively what I'm saying is, I needed some help. You know, I'm, you know, I'm basically a good guy, yes. I've made some mistakes in my life, and I, I needed someone to show me the right way, and uh, praise God, he sent Jesus to me, and Jesus is showing me the right way, showed me the right way, maybe gave me some helpful tools along the way, And now I can, you know, live for God and be right with God and it's all wonderful. To say that Jesus, so that's to just say Jesus is a good teacher and a number of other things cults will say about Jesus. What does it mean to say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Well, it means to say that I am a sinner and uh, I cannot make myself right with God at all. I really need a savior, someone who can take me, who has absolutely no right to be uh, before God and who has no ability to make himself right with God. I need somebody like that that can take me and save me and give me a relationship with God. And that's what the Christ is. That's what it means. That's what being the Son of God qualifies Jesus to do. He says, if the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. I need someone no less than the Son of God to save my soul. I don't need a good teacher. <laughs> a good teacher will tell me what to do and I'll find I'm not able to do it. I will never meet God's standards on my own. I need a Savior. I need somebody to save me. All right? that's, that's the difference between the two. Now, I want to stop and think a little bit about what Jesus said about himself. So some people will say, Jesus, well, he was a good teacher or a prophet or other things. What did Jesus say about himself? Uh, let's start at Matthew 16 and verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, Am. So he's starting by asking his disciples a question, who do people say that I am? Jesus is asking the question. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So good things about the Lord Jesus, right? They think he must be a great man of God, like John the Baptist, or oh, they're thinking he's a prophet. Uh, or oh, maybe the person who would usher into Christ. I mean, they're saying good things about the Lord Jesus here. And then Jesus asked the disciples themselves, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here now, Peter is giving a good answer. This is a good day for Peter, at least so far. And, uh, Note what Jesus says to him. He says a number of things. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon by jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Again, these things are spiritually discerned. Right? We shouldn't be shocked and surprised or think we're smarter than someone who doesn't recognize who Jesus is. Right? They, you know, they, they might be <laughs> really good in seeing through pictures like the one I, I showed on the wall. They may be a lot smarter than we are, but because of the sheer fact that the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed to them the truth about Jesus, they don't know the truth about Jesus. They can't see it. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and this rock here is the statement that you have given, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So, this is the single who Jesus is. The fact he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, is the foundation of the church. Not that he is a teacher sent from God. Okay? He just doesn't pass the criteria to be part of the church of Jesus. You must recognize who Jesus is. Another passage we have. Now, this is... uh, I'm bringing this up as an argument, and, uh, you know, many, many of you may not get involved in arguments. You may have nobody challenging you about who the Lord Jesus is. Uh, my family is unsaved, pretty much every one of them, as far as I know. And occasionally I get into these, you know, arguments or disputes <laughs> about what the Bible teaches, and, uh, excuse me, said so I get this on the mic. Uh, and uh, w- uh, one of my uncles once was trying to challenge me about Jesus being God, and he said, "Well, you know, only only in the Gospel of John does it say Jesus is God. It doesn't say that anywhere else." And so I was trying to think of a passage other than the Gospel of John. It says that <coughs> Jesus is God. And uh, I turned to this passage in Luke. And uh, yeah, I'll comment on it as I read. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, this is Luke 22:66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. So this is the trial, where Jesus is on trial. And um, the rulers want to put him to death, right? There's, there's many reasons why Jesus died, and one of them is the people who were in charge didn't like Jesus. Jesus was a threat as far as they were concerned to their rule, and they just wanted to get rid of him. And uh, they're looking here for an excuse <coughs> by, by uh, what, what the accusation they'll try to bring against Jesus, and they will succeed, is that of blasphemy, that of claiming to be the Christ, the Son of God. That's what they want him to say, right? Now, if Jesus wasn't the Christ, the Son of God, this would be a golden opportunity to say so. No, you guys are mistaken. I never meant to say I was the Christ, the Son of God. This is all a big mistake. But he doesn't say it. First he says, if I say it, you're not going to believe me, which is true, right? They they didn't want to know for themselves if he was the Christ. They really wanted to find a a way of of, uh, getting rid of him. Then they all said... Are you the Son of God? And in the other, the other uh, Gospels, it says they adjure him. It, uh, it's basically such a strong statement of demand that he says who he is uh, that he responds here and he says, So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. You rightly say that I am what? The Son of God. Right? This is Jesus claiming he was the Son of God. And they said, What father testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said to him, It is as you say. It is what? He is the Christ. Now, this is not just the Gospel of John. This is not just the Gospel of Luke. It is the historical reason that Jesus was put to death. He claimed to be the Son of God. If he didn't claim to be the Son of God, Jesus would not have been killed. There would have been no legal reason to kill him. Now again, they had the reasons why they wanted Jesus to die. Jesus had a reason why he was going to die, but there was a single legal reason used against him to put him to death, and that was that he claimed to be Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this is uh, something that uh, C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis is a famous author. He's probably most famous for writing the series of Narnia, like The Witch, The Lion, and The Wardrobe. But he also wrote uh, other other Christian books. He was a famous apologist. And he says this, which is a very good, uh, astute way of saying it, so I'm just going to quote him. Uh, I have a picture of him if you really want to see what he looks like. It shows even a bold guy can look good, right? (laughs) I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the same level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. He, Jesus, has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus doesn't give us any room to consider he's a great teacher. We either accept him as the Christ, the Savior that God has sent into this world to save sinners from hell, and God incarnate, or we must reject his claims completely. There's no in-between. Which is why cults cannot come to you and say, well, I believe Jesus was a great teacher or an angel or a prophet or he did a lot of good things, but here's the truth we want you to really know. They either accept him as who he claimed to be or reject him completely. Don't try to play around with who Jesus is to deceive people. Finally, as we think about Jesus' claim of who he is and what it was the Gnostic were trying to say about him, I wanted to think about the impact of Jesus' death upon Christianity, upon those who believe, upon believers. And uh, we have that for us in Galatians 2. Now, Galatians was a book written to combat uh, another false teaching. There was a false teaching in the church. People uh, came into the church, Judaizers, and they said that yes, what Jesus did is is great and good, and is you know, a prophet or the Messiah or whatever. But you guys, if you really want to be Christian believers, you also need to keep the law. That was a, a false teaching uh, of the time. And Paul is responding to it in Galatians chapter 2. And he says this, Galatians two nineteen. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. Meaning, I'm not trying to keep the law. I've completely died to the law of God. That I, of the Lord, that I might live to God or truly serve God in my life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. We talked about the fact that Jesus died for different reasons. There are people who put him to death, wanted to get rid of him. They didn't like him. Uh, Legally, he was killed for saying he was the Christ, the Son of God. But in God's mind, Jesus was dying on the cross for you and for me. And as we recognize that he died for us, our life completely changes. First of all, there is no law-keeping. I'm not going to try to please God or rather be right with God by somehow keeping the law and offering that to God. Instead, I receive what Jesus did for me. My confidence in my relationship with God is through Christ and Christ alone and what Christ has done for me. And uh, my life is now revolutionized. I live Uh, The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I realize he loves me and everything I'm doing now is because of that great love he had for me. So for me to say Jesus was a teacher, a prophet, an angelic being is completely missing the point that the Son of God has come into the world to reclaim my life, to make me right with God, to give me a relationship with God, to give me a new life. It's all The work of God. Not some help I'm getting from someone to live my own life. Revolution, revolutionary life that Jesus comes to give to us. Which is why the Gnostics or any other cults are so far off course. Let's go ahead and finish the passage. uh, Picking up in 1 John chapter 2. He says, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So the question here, what do we do about it? What do we do about the fact that there's cults out there, and they're teaching false doctrine, or you know, in a worse situation, somebody will arise in the church and start teaching false doctrine. What's our response to that? And the response to that is to abide in the word of God. It says here, therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. What did they get from the beginning? That was the apostles' doctrine. The apostles went there and they taught them the word of God. And we have a real advantage today, brother and sister, because they didn't have what we have. We have the complete Bible. They had to remember the message that was brought to them first by the apostles. And uh, what John is sending them to is, go back, abide in the Word of God. Yes, there's false teaching out there. What's our safety? We open the Word of God and we read the Word of God and we spend time in the Word of God and we try to understand the Word of God and that is our protection against false doctrine. First Peter 2, two says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby... We are saved when we receive the word of God, the message of the gospel, we believe it, and that's wonderful. But God wants us to grow. He wants us to become firm in his word and able to defend ourselves against this kind of attacks. And that only happens as you spend time in the word of God and try to understand it and build up your knowledge in what the word of God is, what the Bible teaches. Second... uh, John is pointing out the fact that we have an anointing that we received from the Holy One. When, uh, I, we, we, uh, often, we didn't this year, but we often try to, uh, reach out to people and share with them the Word of God. And, uh, sometime we do it in the Fourth of July parade here in Fremont. Some of you have been there with us. We try to hand out flyers to people and, uh, invite them to, uh, to study the Bible. And one, one uh, year, we got a response from someone who wanted to meet with us. He said, I, I got your literature and I'd like to talk to you about it. And I was really excited, wonderful. We have here, you know, a real potential, someone who wants to study the Word of God and know the Word of God. So I met this person for lunch. And uh, I was a little bit taken aback. <laughs> because what he really wanted to tell, you, tell me is, you know, how dare you guys think you can tell people what the Word of God is? Or what, what qualification do you have? And the reason he was upset is he was a Catholic. And he believed that it is the Catholic Church. He recognized we weren't Catholics. <laughs> so what he believes is that the Catholic Church you know, were the one who, who had the authority to say what it is that the Word of God meant. And uh, because of it, uh, Catholics will usually not really study the Bible. They might read the Bible as kind of a good work. You get points somehow in the Catholic system. So you get points by reading the Bible. But they don't read it trying to understand what it really says because the truth comes from the priest. If I want to know what the truth is, what God wants me to do, I don't go to the Bible, I go to the priest. (laughs) He'll tell me what it is that God wants me to do. And uh, what I was trying to tell John, that was his name, is... uh, Well, God wants you to read the Bible for yourself. And he wants you to understand it for yourself and not rely on the priest or anyone else telling you what the Word of God is. Now, the Gnostics were similar to the Catholic Church or the system in that they said, we know the truth. If you want to know spiritual truth, you need to come to us and we will tell you what it means. And what John is telling here to the believers, no... You have an anointing which you have received from Him, or the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. As I open the Word of God, the Holy Spirit helps me understand what the Word of God means. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't go to church, we shouldn't study the Bible with other people, or use other helps. God uses many ways to help us in coming to an understanding of the Word of God. But the key is, God wants you to understand His Word. At the end of the day, my hope is that you can walk out of here and say, I understand what God is saying in this passage to me and what it is that God wants me to do not, well, this is what Noad says then, you know, we should somehow do it. My goal is to be a teacher and to help in some way illumine or be used by the Holy Spirit to illumine the Word of God to you so you understand what it says. But you should have your own understanding and conviction, this is what God is saying in His Word to me. Not just what some priest or somebody else has told me. Now, finally, Um, I have here another application, not directly from this text. I love playing board games, as some of you know me. And uh, as my children grow older, I have the joy of teaching them to play board games too. And uh, one of the games I've recently taught my children is Stratego. I don't know how many of you played Stratego. But in Stratego, there's one goal, and that is to get the flag of the opponent. And um, there's different strategies to play. Uh, To play it, you can be kind of defensive and, you know, try to kind of keep all your, you know, strong pieces back and as the opponent comes, you can try to get his pieces. Or you can be offensive and try to find the flag and take it out. And uh, what I've been trying to teach my children is sometimes offense is the best defense. And... uh, you can see it when you play against, depending what kind of a player you play, you're you playing, but uh, there's, there occasionally the enemy will bring his piece right next to your flag. And he, he can make one move, and he takes you out. You lose the game. And uh, there's nothing you can do because your flag can't move. But in that situation, if you're attacking the other person, Instead of taking out your flag, he may respond by doing all these defensive moves. Instead of trying to, to uh, attack and take the, your flag out, he'll be distracted from your flag and try to defend himself. And I've seen sometimes a person who's really not the better player win simply because he's more offensive and the other person can't handle that pressure and they miss the opportunity uh, to attack. So what am I saying? What's, what's the offense? So there is false teaching out there you know, we can't do anything about it. It's part of the signs of it being the last hour. But God doesn't want us to be on the defensive. He wants us to be on the offensive. It says in uh, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You can look at that picture that we had at the beginning and you see the truth. You see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God. He has come into this world to die for sinners. And what he wants you to do is to proclaim that, make that known. Don't You know, sit here at home and say, well, I have this doctrine and that doctrine in case the cult is coming and I'll be able to defend myself. No, God wants you to go out. He showed you the picture. He showed you the glories of His Son and the love of God. And He wants you to take that love of God to the world. Don't leave the world to the cults and sit at home. Take the word of God, the love of God, the message of the cross, who Jesus is, Take it out to the world. Make it known. Sing sing the glories of Christ that he deserves to be sang. Proclaim uh, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for uh, his great love for us. Lord, we know that uh, lies and cults abound in this world, and you warned us about it. Help us not be discouraged because of it, but desire to make uh, the truth of God, the word of God, the glory of your Son, made known to those around us and to all nations. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.